The United States Army is a mission-driven organization. From the moment a new recruit first puts on the uniform, they are taught to think in terms of the mission. At basic training, every soldier memorizes the soldier's creed. Embedded in the soldier's creed are four lines that are known as the warrior ethos. These are those four lines. I will always place the mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. I will never leave a fallen comrade. You see, an ethos is a mindset. It's a distinguishing character. It's a set of guiding principles. From day one, soldiers are taught to think in terms of putting the mission first. And they're taught to learn to be willing to sacrifice anything and everything for the sake of the mission. And it's not just individual soldiers that learn to put the mission first. Every unit in the United States Army is driven by mission. Here's how it works. A unit receives a mission from a higher authority. It usually comes in the form of what's known as an operations order. Embedded in that operations order is a statement from the commander. And it's, it's like a mission statement. Uh, here is how an army doctrine publication explains commander's intent. The commander's intent is a clear, concise expression of the purpose of the operation and the desired military end state that supports mission command, provides focus to the staff, and helps subordinate and supporting commanders act to achieve the commander's desired results. In other words, the commander gives the unit a mission and it's encapsulated in a short, concise statement. This statement tells the, the subordinate units exactly what they're supposed to achieve. It doesn't necessarily tell them how they're to achieve it, but it tells them what to achieve. And at that point, the subordinate commanders, the subordinate units begin planning. They begin considering all of their different personnel and equipment and resources and capabilities. And they ask themselves, how do we put these things to use to accomplish our mission? And they know that as they're given a mission, say, say for instance, that the, the commander's intent is to take that hill. They know that by engaging in this mission, their equipment and their resources are going to be put to use. They may receive some damage. They might get dirty in the process. But the point of the mission is not to keep everything nice and clean. The point of the mission is not to keep everybody from staying out of harm's way. The point of the mission is to accomplish the mission. And in doing so, that requires the utilization of resources. It requires the deployment of personnel. People might have lots of different ideas and preferences on how that uh, equipment and resources ought to be used, but if it's not to accomplish the mission, then it doesn't matter. Now, the, the Army is not the only organization that understands the importance of a clear and concise mission. You see, over the past several decades, business leaders and self-help experts and self-development experts have come to understand the importance of clear, concise, compelling mission statements. Walk into any business or organization, and somewhere in that organization, you're likely to see a poster, a painting, something on the wall saying, this is who we are, and this is what we exist to do. It's a mission statement, and it guides their use of resources, it guides their decision making, it helps them figure out who they are and what they're there to do. Many of you know that I have worked for some time as a chaplain for St. Vincent, Indiana. It's a... Uh, Catholic health organization here in Indiana. 
St. Vincent is a mission-driven organization. Uh, as a matter of fact, they expend a great deal of time and resources to help their employees, their associates, understand the value of their mission. Once a quarter, new employees are required to attend a half-day training called Living Our Mission, in which we unpack the mission of St. Vincent, and we help every employee understand how their particular function plays a role in the greater mission of delivering health care and relieving uh, injustice in the world. Uh, not only do businesses focus on clear mission statements, but uh, individuals and families have come to realize the importance of clear mission statements as well. Stephen Covey, uh, most famous for his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, in which he did a great amount of research understanding what makes people successful, what makes people effective. And habit number two in his book is begin with the end in mind. And in habit number two, he explains that having a clear, concise mission statement for your life will help you achieve what you want to achieve in your life. He has this to say about mission statements. He says, your mission statement becomes your constitution, the solid expression of your vision and values. It becomes the criterion by which you measure everything else in your life. I'm going to read that last statement again. It becomes the criterion by which you measure everything else in your life. Let me give you an example. Right now, my wife and I are working to get out of some credit card debt that we got ourselves into while I was in seminary. Uh, we were paying for school. I wasn't working full time. She was working. And so we accumulated a little bit of credit card debt. And we have become serious as of late. We have gone on a mission now to get out of our credit card debt. We have made that a mission in our marriage. For a couple of years, we were sort of nonchalant about it. We said, oh, it would be nice to get out of debt someday. And uh, many of you know, if you say, oh, it would be nice to do something someday, that thing usually never happens, right? It's only when you become focused on a mission that you accomplish that mission. So we become focused on getting out of debt. And that guides our decision making. I've picked up some extra part-time employment to bring in some more money. So I've sacrificed some time and some energy in order to accumulate some more income to help us achieve our mission of getting out of debt. It also drives how we spend our money, right? We're not going on elaborate vacations. We're not buying new wardrobes. We're, we're saving as much as we can so that we can direct those resources to accomplish our mission. <laughs> If you've ever tried to lose weight, if you've had a mission to lose weight, you know that you have to be intentional about accomplishing your mission. That mission guides the decisions that you make. You may need to sacrifice some of your time. You may need to get up a little earlier in the morning to go to the gym, to go for a walk, or to go for a run. It guides the decisions about the kinds of food that you put in your body. You try to put in more healthy food and less unhealthy food. Your mission drives your decision making. It becomes the criterion by which you measure everything else. So I know what you all are thinking. What in the world does this have to do with anything? We're here to learn about Jesus, right? That's well, a great question. You see, 2,000 years ago, the organization that we know is the church, the movement that we call Christianity, was one of the most mission-driven organizations, one of the most mission-driven movements within history. What started out as a relatively small group of people, about 120 people, in a relatively obscure part of the world, in a city called Jerusalem, a, a city that you probably wouldn't have any reason to visit unless you were Jewish. 
In about the year 30 AD, they, they had been following a man named Jesus, a, a name that you probably hadn't heard outside of the region of Judea. Within 30 to 40 years, this relatively small group of people in this relatively obscure area of the country had spread like wildfire across the entire Roman Empire and beyond. In less than 40 years, people in Rome and across the Mediterranean basin were speaking the name of Jesus because this group of people was dedicated to a mission. They were willing and they did sacrifice anything and at sometimes everything to make the name of Jesus known. They were a people on a mission. In less than 300 years, they had basically conquered the Roman Empire. The, the religion known as Christianity became the biggest religion in the Roman Empire in just a few centuries. And all without the use of the sword. Because we had people that were committed to a mission. So that's what the series is about. We're going to look at this group of people. We're going to see what they did, how they accomplished their mission. And they're going to see if there's something that we can replicate today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to get there in just a moment. We're going to begin in verse 18. But first, I want to be very, very clear about something. The church has been given a mission. The church globally has been given a mission. And as a local manifestation of the global church, we have been given a mission. And that's what we're going to look at. We are supposed to be doing something. We're supposed to be doing something. And while we're sitting here on Sundays, while we have our butts and seats on Sundays, that's a good thing. But we're supposed to be doing more than just that. You know, before Jesus' crucifixion, he was a Messiah on a mission. He went around and he told us his mission time and time again in a different ways. He told us that he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to set the oppressed free, to, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach good news, to demonstrate what the kingdom of God was really like. He was a Messiah on a mission. He traveled the countryside preaching and teaching and healing and ministering and helping people understand that God loved them very much. That forgiveness was available and that the kingdom of God was coming and he invited them to be a part of it. He was a mission-minded Messiah. He didn't just wait around in the synagogues on Saturdays waiting for people to come to him. But he went out to where they were. He did that enough that he got the attention of the religious and political leaders of the day and they didn't like his message. They didn't like his mission and so they had him crucified. When he was crucified it looked like it was mission failure. It looked like it was the end of the road. It looked like game over. But we know that the crucifixion was really a secret play in which Jesus was conquering sin, darkness, and death. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. And he showed back up to those people who had been following him, those people who thought that everything was over. He said, hey, I'm back. And the mission isn't over. The mission has just begun. And he begins to explain to them how the mission is going to continue. So in Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start in verse 18. This, this series, this text is often referred to as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. When someone is, is commissioned, they're entrusted with the mission. When someone is commissioned, they're entrusted with a mission. So we could also call this the Great Mission Statement. The Great Mission Statement. Much like Commander's Intent. In the army in which the commander expresses what he expects to see accomplished. Jesus expects, expresses to his followers what he expects to see accomplished. Here he goes. He's gathered with his closest followers after his resurrection. 
Then Jesus came to them, Luke tells us, Matthew tells us, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a lot of authority, isn't it? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. What do we expect him to say next? We expect him to say, therefore, I am going to finally raise up the army that everybody has expected me to raise up. And I'm going to ride on a white horse into Rome and I'm going to kick Caesar off the throne. That's what everybody expects Jesus to say, right? They expect, him, they expect Jesus to say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, I am single-handedly by myself going to accomplish the mission that I began because now I'm back from the dead. But as a matter of fact, Jesus' next statements says very little about him or what he is going to do at all. All authority has been on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says, you, you go and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say anything about what he's going to do. He says, authority has been given to me. Therefore, to his followers, he says, I expect you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded with you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, I'm back from the dead. Now I want you to go. He takes his followers. He says, I am giving you a mission. The mission that I began, now I am turning over and I am entrusting to you, Jesus says to his disciples. And this mission is for you to go. And as you're going, Jesus says, your mission is to make disciples from all nations. This is the mission of the church. Which leads us to a question, right? What is a disciple? What is a disciple? Is a disciple somebody who simply comes and sits in a chair on Sunday mornings and sings some songs and listens to a sermon? That's part of it, but there's far more to being a disciple than just sitting in a chair, singing some songs and listening to a sermon once or twice a week. To be a disciple in Jesus' day had a very specific meaning. If you were a disciple of a teacher, if you were a disciple of a master, your goal in life was to become like your teacher or like your master. Your goal was to listen to their teachings, to obey them, and then to become like them in your own life. So Jesus is telling his followers, you have been following me for months, years now. Now it's your turn to go out and you are going to find others. And you're going to do for them what I have done for you. You're going to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. When we look at Jesus' mission, it was more than just inviting people to be a part of a local congregation. To come and listen to some teachings, to sing some songs. He was inviting them to change the world. Jesus came not just to get people to go to church, but, to, but so that the church would then be the vehicle by which he would change the world. By which he would establish justice. By which poverty would be fought against. By which injustice would be fought against. By which good news would be preached. By which the love of God would be displayed to the world. He gave them a job to do. And that job was not just to build churches. Not just to attend churches. But was to change the world. It was to set the oppressed free. It was to bring about healing. It was to bring about God's justice. And God's love. Tangibly in the world. To demonstrate here and now. What the kingdom would look like in the future. Jesus taught his followers to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught them to live in such a way that the kingdom of God could be seen, that the love of God could be felt through their lives, through their words, through their actions for everyone else. This is what it means to be a disciple. 
So he's telling them, I want you, therefore, to go. And I want you to teach other people what I have taught you. I want you to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. And as we're going to see in the coming weeks, his followers did just this. They took his mission very, very seriously. They were willing to sacrifice anything and everything for the cause of the mission so that other people could experience the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God that they had experienced. So if, if making disciples really is the mission of the church, then that means that making disciples should guide our every decision. Every event that we hold, every dollar that we spend, everything that we do should be geared towards making disciples. That's why I've told you over and over again, when we have discussions about what we're going to do as a church, the question that I'm going to ask you is, how does this fit into our mission of making disciples? We don't do things just because we like them. We don't do things just because they make us feel good. We don't do things just because it's been tradition. We do things because we have been called to make disciples. And if what we're doing isn't making disciples, then we change what we're doing to accomplish the mission. The army does a great job training soldiers to think in terms of mission. The army does a great job teaching their new recruits that they are there to serve the mission and to be willing to sacrifice anything and everything. And I wonder if there's not something that the church can learn from the army. I wonder if we do a good enough job teaching people that becoming a disciple of Jesus means that your life now has a mission. Your life now has a purpose. You're not just, you don't just put your faith in Jesus so that you can go to heaven someday in the future when you die. You put your faith in Jesus so that you can be a part of the mission here and now. So that you can be a part of changing the world here and now. Jesus says that you make disciples and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism was supposed to be the, the starting point of discipleship. Too often in Christianity, we look at baptism as the final goal. We, we get somebody baptized and we think that we've done our job. Now they're a part of the church and, and, our, and our work is done. But really, baptism was supposed to be the, the beginning. It was the initiation into the mission. Somebody being baptized was signing their name on the dotted line saying, I want to be a part of the mission of God. Baptism is the beginning. It's not the end. And just in case his followers weren't clear, Jesus made it very, very specific what it means to be a disciple. He says, I want you to teach them to obey. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. The message that I have entrusted to you, Jesus says, I want you now to go and entrust to other people. Teach them to obey what I have taught you to obey. Far too much of Christianity stops with getting people saved so they can go to heaven when they die. Christianity is about learning to obey Jesus, to follow his teachings, to walk in his footsteps, to become like him. And he closes by telling them that they're not alone. He closes by saying that this mission is not something they have to accomplish on their own. He says, surely I am with you. How often? Always. To the very end of the age. You see, we call this the Great Commission, but I think we could also call it the Great Co-Mission. The Great Co-Mission, because we are in mission with Jesus, and we can't forget that. Jesus is there with us every step. He's promised to be with us as we go. We know that he was willing to sacrifice anything. He promised to give us his spirit so that we could walk in his steps. He's not left us alone. You know, as I think about this, I think about what a privilege 
this really is. Sometimes we think about this and we think of it as a responsibility, and it is. But it's, it's a privilege too that, that the one who had been given all authority in heaven and earth has invited us to be a part of what he's doing on earth. He has invited us to partner with him in his ministry and his mission. He has let us be a part of changing lives. So I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine if the church was as mission-driven as the army. Imagine if every Christian took the mission of God as seriously as soldiers take the mission of the army. Imagine if we were really willing to sacrifice anything and everything to accomplish the mission, to reach those who are far from God. Imagine if our life really was defined by making disciples. What would that look like if every one of us in this church and every one of us in the church down the street and the church after that made it their life's mission to make disciples for Jesus Christ? Isn't what we do here of so much more importance than any other organization? Isn't what we've been called to do so much greater than the army? Or Apple computers? Or effective people? Isn't what we've been called to do? Doesn't it have much greater, much longer lasting significance than anything else in the entire world? Is there anything more important than helping people understand the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God that never fails? Imagine if every decision that we made in this church was made not in terms of what we like or our preferences, but was made in terms of what is going to help us reach those who are far from God. Imagine if every event that we did, every dollar that we spent, was directed towards how are we going to reach those in our neighborhood and those in our community who don't yet know God. Imagine if we were willing to sacrifice our personal preferences and our tastes for the greater good. Imagine if we were as committed to the mission as soldiers committed to an earthly mission for an earthly organization. Imagine if the church was as mission-driven as the army. Next week, I'm going to... reveal, talk over with you a working draft of a mission statement for this church and a strategy for how we in this location can accomplish the mission of God. It's something I've been working on for several months and I'm going to talk it over with you and I'm going to solicit your input and you're going to see that there's going to be work to do. Areas where you can join in the mission of God using your gifts and your abilities and your time and your resources. So next week, I don't want you to miss it because I'm going I'm to talk about how, how specifically Stony Brook Community Church of God can be a part of the mission of God and some ideas for strategy. I'm going to get your input. I'm going to ask for your suggestion. I'm going to ask you to start to sign up and get involved in different ways. So don't miss next week. I'm going to say a word of prayer. Mandy's going to come up, and then I'm going to get communion ready. Uh, after I pray, if you would stand up and sort of 
join in a circle around the room, I'm going to uh, come and I'm going to hand out some bread and some cups and we're going to share in communion together as a reminder that we're all in this thing together. That we've been called to share the table and invite others to join us. As we share in communion, Mandy's going to sing us a song. Join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you have You've invited us to partner with you in mission. You didn't have to do that. You could have done it on your own. You could have figured out another way that didn't involve us, and yet you chose to invite us. Father, what a privilege. What an honor that you would want to use little old us to help accomplish your mission of changing the world. Father, I pray that you would set our hearts on fire for this mission, that you would burden us for this mission, that you would make us unsatisfied with anything less than dedicating our lives to serving you in your mission. I pray that as we move forward as a church, you would draw us together in unity, that you would bind our hearts together in solidarity to reach those who are far from you, to help those who don't yet know your love your forgiveness and your grace, Father. Help us, give us the courage to be willing to sacrifice anything and everything for the cause of reaching those who don't yet know you. I pray for these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen.